What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on a four-team member research team bringing this uh, new thing called PAV. So we're basically uh, added value per pass. Uh, So we're going to talk about passing and entries and a bunch of other things that are just good stuff and better understanding the game. Uh, A lot of stuff will confirm prior beliefs and a few things might surprise you. So really excited to bring on this episode it is fantastic uh just getting four people's expertise is pretty pretty cool uh really excited for this one let's get into it all right on the hockey iq podcast today brought on the four authors of a special paper um guys what what did you win big data cup like big is the bowl or cup it's the cup we got right yeah, I think we yeah, got, we the, got cup. the cup. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Who actually has the cup? Uh, well, it's a virtual cup. Virtual cup. <laughs> virtual cup doesn't actually exist. Boo. Yeah. I, I want to see this like the NHL where you guys are drinking out of the cup together. I mean, you can't do it because of COVID, but, you know, it's just the idea of it would be great. Next so, year, yeah, I guess uh, get stat leads on the, on the call and, yeah, see what we can do for next year. <laughs> Well, maybe we should go get a cup right now and uh, drink down some beers together in celebration because this this is quite some work you guys put together. And uh, I would say it's, it's the hottest piece of 2021 in, in the hockey analytics community. Uh, Bayesian space-time models for expected possession added value. Um, so I think you should probably give us a down-to-earth plain English version for us that aren't uh, data scientists and beautiful hockey nerds like you guys sure so yeah i'll take this one um so i guess like really the the kind of the basics comes down to you know things that i think everyone knows about hockey like um we're really trying to think about um different parts of the ice have sort of different values that's that's really kind of the premise that we're operating on and what we want to do is to sort of build models that are sort of capturing that fact and Ultimately, the main sort of, um, I guess, metric that we end up uh, building is is trying to sort of ask the question, at least given the data that we have, um, after some sort of an action that happens, say like a pass or uh, a shot or a turnover recovery, um, are we able to get the puck to somewhere that's more valuable or are we getting it to somewhere that's less valuable? And then sort of all the fancy words are really just describing um, how we make that value judgment. So everyone sort of knows that space, different parts of space is, is valuable. You know, if you're close to the net, we sort of know that you're probably more likely to score. Um, 
and then the other bit is we we throw in this kind of time dimension and that's not really it's not so much that time the way we use it is inherently valuable it's more that we don't know given the data we have where all the players are on the ice and we're sort of using time as a proxy for um, thinking about how set up defenses are so we we're, we're sort of expecting that if the puck enters the zone um, right away we're probably closer to like a rush situation and we expect defenses to be looser and the longer that we've been in the zone, we expect things to be tighter. And, and what our models end up showing is that as we stay in the long, zone longer, the, the parts that become valuable sort of shrink and how valuable they are end up sort of shrinking. So we're really just trying to, we're trying to value different parts of the ice and we're trying to figure out like, are we getting to more or less valuable spots basically? So, okay, so I'll, I'll play the eight here because I am. Uh, so basically the value or what you're trying to figure out is what is the value of a certain space and then continually to get into better spaces and compound those advantages. Yeah, yeah, in a sense. Like, yeah, like if, you know, if you make a pass across the ice, like, you know, a good pass would be one that makes it in a better spot and a bad one would probably one that puts it in a, you know, a worse spot. Like if you're passing it out of the zone or you're thrown in the corner when you could have, you know, got it to somebody in front of the net, you know, something like that. Got it. Got it. So let's, uh, let's deconstruct this by maybe starting back uh, a little bit um, and looking at the work that was maybe an inspiration for your paper. I know in there uh, when I read it, you're, uh, referencing a few different studies, um, seeing you, uh, and actually one of our authors here, uh, Thibaut. So curious, uh, what work led up to it or what you're building off of or the work before and what was an inspiration to actually create this? Cause I think it's absolutely fascinating. That, that sure. was actually, um, you know, one of the many discussion I had with coaches over the past few years. And, you know, it's always been like, as a stat analyst, you're presenting some stats and insight you get, but they're always like, yeah, but how does that in involve into that other aspect of the game? Or, yeah, that guy does those great zone entries, but what he does after that doesn't lead to much, whatever. So then I, I decided to track the games a different way, and I started to linking what I call sequences together, meaning that for as long as a team had the puck in, in its possession, like from zone exit, zone entries, uh, could be a couple of shots in the offensive zone, high danger passes, everything, till the point the puck is lost, all of this will be one sequence. And so by linking all those events together, you could then see like the consequences, like how much time, what percentage of the time that type of zone exit leads to a shot in the end, or that type of zone entry leads to a shot in the end. And in terms of players, I decided to divide the total expecting goals value of that sequence between the players that were involved in the first place. Because otherwise, usually you just like, okay, so that guy did the zone exit. Good, you get one zone exit. Okay, that guy did the zone entry. Okay, good, you get that zone entry. That guy took a shot. Okay, that's one shot for you. That guy got a shot assist, that's one shot assist for you. Okay, everybody goes home, everybody gets something. But there, I actually calculated what was the impact from the zone exit in the first place and the zone entries and the shot assist and the shot, whatever, whatever, whatever. So then I can divide the whole sequence according to the role everybody played. 
So we kind of brought that idea in one of the first meetings with the guys and Tyrell and Brendan, they just took it and made it like that crazy version of it, way more rational, way more mathematical and scientific. But yeah, the start was, I guess, that kind of thinking. Yeah, so yeah, to kind of like build on that. So yeah, we had this first meeting and Thibaut's kind of telling us a little bit about, yeah, how he kind of built these sequences. Um, and I've been kind of reading some stuff um, in basketball, especially this uh, Dan Cervone et al. paper. Um, and something that's a little bit different what they were trying to do is they were working with full tracking data. They have the location of every, you know, all 10 basketball players on the floor. And, you know, they're kind of almost working on the opposite case where they're like, okay, if you have all that, all that data, like, what can you sort of do with it? How should you think be thinking about possessions and stuff like that? And it turns out they had a few um, useful kind of mathematical ways of, of thinking about that. And what we're built onto what Thibaut uh, is talking about is we really want to think about instead of just like, you know, what happens in the, like the next action or the next thing that happens in the ice, we want to sort of think about the paths that happen um, you know, like if, 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 uh, we expect, if, if we have a pass, uh, or we have a zone entry and then a pass to the left side of the net, um, we want to, we don't want to just think about that sort of thing in isolation, but we want to think about the kind of path of that entire, uh, possession. And they had a nice sort of mathematical way to deal with that. And they also, because they were dealing with these, this really complicated data set, they used a lot of really nice tools computationally that we were able to take advantage of that made our job of like making these really fancy models like a lot easier so we were kind of just hopping on the bandwagon they developed all these nice tools for dealing with much more complicated than the data than we have and we were like okay if we have a slightly less complicated data set uh what can we sort of squeeze out of this and it's and it really became about how can we simulate sort of sequences from any point on the ice and sort of use that to uh um, yeah, think about value and, and so on. And then the metrics ended up being uh, related to sort of this other work that you were talking about with Singh and, and the former sport logic guys. Yeah, funny enough, uh, Singh is a fellow uh, Arsenal fan. So actually, I actually saw his value or his uh, stuff when it first came out in 2018. And that was kind of got my ideas flowing around like, if someone actually did something like this would be really cool. And then you guys finally took the mantle and I was just hooked as soon as I saw the work um, just attached on. I think it's such a cool little design there. So I'm curious of the possession added value that you took from how he talked about as like an expected threat from a different position. And uh, I believe he had, if I remember correctly, he had the field actually like squared off and like, I want to say like 64 squares and each one had a value and you could see, like he broke it down multiple ways. So you guys know this much better than I, so maybe dive in a little bit of that and how you kind of worked and adapted that uh, towards hockey. Um, yeah, I guess there's a couple, a couple bits and yeah, feel free other people to, uh, to jump on. Um, so um, I guess one of the things that we do differently, and this is really coming from that dance or bone paper is um, most of the work that does this sort of thing, like you said, you kind of have to chop up the field or the ice you pick some you know you, you make nice squares or maybe you you have special little regions of the ice that you've kind of predetermined um one of the tools that we're using in love allows us to be a little bit fancier where we sort of chop everything into triangles um but we don't really think about 
the ice as being not everything inside the same triangle is the same. Um, so we actually are allowed to treat the ice sort of almost continuously, which is really nice. Um, and then I guess in terms of how we sort of make the metric, what we were really thinking about in terms of possession added value, it really goes back to that thing about like, did you put it into a more valuable spot? So we, if you're at a certain pot, spot on the ice, we say how, val how valuable is that spot is related to all of the sort of possession paths that we think is likely to come from that spot. Um, so we simulate a bunch of paths and some of those paths basically end up as goals. Some of those paths end up as turnovers and stuff like that. And we can get sort of a distribution of value uh, from any spot on the ice. And then we see that, oh, after such and such a play, it ends up in some other spot on the ice and some new period of time. And then we're able to sort of do the same uh, kind of thing. We simulate a bunch of like, what are the likely paths that would be from this, this point on the ice? Um, and then we can take the difference between the two. And you say, that's how much you've sort of added. Um, and yeah, that kind of comes back to what Singh, Singh really talked about. You know, we don't necessarily want our, our metrics to be related to um, whether or not there actually was a goal. Um, we want to be able to value things about like, you know, whether you're kind of getting things into more valuable on average space. Um, maybe some other guys want to jump in here too. I'm talking a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you nailed that pretty well. Yeah, basically, yeah, that sing work was kind of doing the same thing we were trying to do. Um, so we had the same kind of idea and we kind of borrowed that and the way they kind of created the metric was to basically like to value an event or to value an action on the ice. What he did was to take the value after the event minus the value at the moment prior to the event. And we just did the exact same thing with that, where basically we're looking at kind of like how much more value have we gained because of um, the action taking place, basically. So you're looking at patterns and figuring out just basic trends, like are we trending in the right direction? It's the way I'm understanding this so far of like, hey, this looks like it'll be a more valuable next play based on the most common options that are presented in a hockey game. Am I thinking about that right? I think that's reasonable. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the basically our models are informed by the plays that actually do happen. Um, so, you know, like if we're seeing more, um, you know, we're seeing more passes from a certain part of the ice or, and we're seeing maybe more good passes, for example, maybe a spot is going to be a little bit more, uh, valuable. We're seeing a lot of, uh, maybe if, if a part on the ice has a lot of like high value shots that are quite common, um, because it's likely that you're going to actually be able to get off a shot. Those kinds of areas of the ice are going to be, you know, valued a little bit more. So of course, like we sort of put the framework of like, we try to figure out where on the ice different things happen and where on the ice, you know, are we likely to score? Where are we likely to pass? And then when we sort of simulate these full sequences, they sort of end up telling us, you know, what is eventually likely to happen from every kind of point on the ice, uh, given the, the sort of data that. Excellent. So as you go through that, did anything jump out as, huh, that's a little different. I didn't expect that. Or maybe that plays a little more valuable than most people probably give it credit for. Nick or Tiva, do you want to take that? Or? Um, I guess it's not, I mean, most of the stuff we 
we saw right away from the result they were pretty obvious and in a way like you said we were pretty happy to find them because that, that meant we were on the right track um like tyrell mentioned earlier like the difference between how the quality is there when when you're still on the rush when you can quickly get into the slot and everything um in comparison to like a few seconds later like the difference as back check and the slot is locked in and you're pushed on the board and and, and and the value is just gone that kind of stuff um i guess one thing we expected but we do we did not find was around passes maybe and we really more were expecting because we held we had all the passes in the data set from statleads and so it's including the path formula like players get positive or negative value from their passing plate and we were really more expecting to see more positive value from those passes. Like, because when you're watching a game and you're watching highlights, whatever, you, you, everybody's remember those really nice passes, high danger passes that like split up the defense and, and create goals and everything. But we really, I guess, realize the, the huge amount of passes that are happening inside a hockey game that are not moving the needle at all. And we saw on the heat map, like how the vast majority of passes were actually along the board, like low to high or high to low. And they're just like passing time maybe, or just escape, escaping a defenseman or in, an, and in the end of the day, like most, most of those passes were just zero value. And I was actually leading to another question because is it really zero value because if you're just escaping a defenseman, but still keeping the play alive in the offensive zone, that may lead to something down the road. So the value is not really zero; it should be something more. But that was that was really hard to quantify at the time. But I guess yeah, something around passes we did not expect really. Yeah, we yeah. Just to kind of add to that, like passes are definitely the most challenging, I think, thing with this data. Um, and especially the our first pass at this we actually found even it was like more negative like the passes were more negative and when we presented um you know this work originally that was like one of the uh the big comments that basically everyone had is like the the passing stuff doesn't quite make sense we were able to retune like we were able to fit model our models a little bit better there was a few kind of technical issues that we had that that led this to be you know, this result was a little bit more extreme, but even when we did it like, you know, more correctly in a sense, um, we kind of have this issue that Tebow was talking about because we don't know where all the players are on the ice. It seems likely to me anyway, that we have this kind of selection issue is that if you're, especially if you're passing around the boards, as long as we assume that like these players in the OHL are, are reasonable decision makers, um, they're probably not like trying to make passes that are negative value. And if they're making these really poor, like so-called low value passes, it's probably because there's something we're not seeing in the data. Like if you're in the, the corner, like why would you pass it to the absolute like farthest of the point? Well, you might've just cycled it up the boards because you had a lot of pressure on you down low. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad decision. And like Thibaut said, that, if that prolongs the sequence and if the alternative was getting the puck stripped in the corner, almost certainly that's a better, you know, decision to make. But in our models, we can't quite see that because we don't know if there was like a lot of pressure down low. Uh, we only get to kind of see these patterns on average. Goes back to the old adage of it's a uh, shoot and recovery game. 
So that's that's very curious. So passes maybe are not as valuable as we thought they were, or they're valuable in ways that we can't quantify quite yet. So yeah. from that, um, tell me if I'm off there, but from that, I'm wondering where does this um, research in analytics um, lead, have, like how do we utilize what you've done here? You know, whether that be scouting, player development, coaching, you know, how does that fit into the hockey world? Yeah, so as Tyrell was saying and was explaining earlier, PAV is basically a way to for us to quantify how different players and teams improve the condition of the puck on the ice. So as coaches, what we often talk about to players in video meetings or during drills is to give good pucks to teammates as opposed to bad pucks. So it's all about giving a puck in a better condition than when they found it. And so what PAV really allows us to do from a quantitative standpoint is to identify the strengths and weaknesses in our team's or individual player's game as a coach to then be able to address them by looking at clips to really understand why these, these are our strengths and then or why these are our weaknesses. So it's really a tool to help guide us towards understanding our, our structure, our tactics, or, or our individual player skills a bit better as a coach. And then on the scouting side, what's really interesting is that PAV allows you to differentiate between two types of players. You have the types of players that are going to make players around them better by improving the condition of the puck for their teammates. And these are the types of players that are usually going to have transferable and projectable skills. So as a scout, these are the types of players that you want to look for uh, to be able to continue developing and arrive at the next level, whether it's in the NHL or any other, any other next level. And then we can differentiate these players from the other type of players, which make not necessarily poor decisions of, with the puck all the time, but that from time to time have a habit of making the puck someone else's problem. And so these are the types of players that, that are going to be less projectable in terms of transferable skills and which you won't necessarily be able to develop at their full potential, given that they have this habit of, of making the puck someone else's problem instead of trying to improve possession uh, for the team. So in terms of player development, this is kind of comparable where as a player developer, as an analyst, it allows you to identify the strengths and the weaknesses of different players in different areas of the game. If you break down PAV or you segregate PAV in the different types of events in the different categories, and then it tells you what you need to focus on in terms of drills, in terms of um, off ice and on ice training to improve the overall game of the player, but by then obviously linking the, quantification of these stats to the video analysis. Awesome. Improving the conditions of the puck. I, I love that. That's awesome. So we've talked about how passing is kind of net even. A lot of it is a little bit negative um, for whatever reason. I'm curious then, as these players are improving the conditions of, of the puck, 
you know, how or where are they drawing positive path from? Are they taking it and skating it into these dangerous positions more often? Um, you know, just like, well, you know, how, if I'm a player and I'm like, I want to have a high positive path, how do I do that? Um, yeah, so I'll kind of start off by just kind of breaking down what kind of factors um, rather than just like skating it in that, like what kind of factors go into the models that kind of affect that. Um, and I can break that down into three different groups that I think kind of describe all of the information that we're taking into the models and that end up um, affecting the outcome of PATH. Uh, so the first we talked about a lot already, which is spatial information. So basically, um, are you putting the, or are you, is your action helping to put the puck into a high danger area? So are you taking it from the perimeter to the middle of the ice? And that can be from like, there's a variety of things like, like you were mentioning, you could skate it in, um, you could pass it in, um, you could just shoot the puck and then get a rebound in a good spot. Right. So even, even like where that. you skate it in is we found is important, yeah. you know, whether you're able to like skate it into the middle of the ice, for example, versus on the side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then another factor that we have too um, is contextual information. So this is more related to just shots and passes as we value them in the model. But with shots, we look at things like, um, is there traffic or is there a one-timer on the shot? Um, and things that can go into our expected goals model and kind of, um, inf or things that influence how likely it is that you're going to score on a shot. Um, and that ends up influencing or boosting or decreasing your path value. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the contextual factors add into the shot there with the pass. The main thing we're looking at is if it's complete or not, right? Because a pass from say the corner to the slot that's complete versus incomplete is a completely different thing, right? Where like you might be getting it in a good space, but then it's basically a jump ball if you get it there and you don't get it, take the tape or the receiver doesn't get it right. So that kind of like makes the spatial information conditional on what's actually going on. And that's kind of what we can sniff out just from using the data as is. Um, then like Tyrell was mentioning earlier as well, we have these time factors or time information. And we use this by looking at like relevant events or by kind of comparing it, comparing where we are now to relevant events, right? Like say how much time is left in a period um, so for example, if we're walking in, we just get into the zone and we take a, a slap shot right away, that's generally going to be a bad move unless there's like one second left in the period and you just want to get a shot off quick, then that's the best possible move. Um, so that's one way that time can factor in. Then also, um, when we're looking at shots, we'll look at time since the last pass or time since the pass, if it occurred just prior to the shot, um, to factor in pre-shot movement. Then also time since the last shot to kind of factor in any rebound chances as well. Then uh, the last thing to do is time since entry. Uh, so that's another thing that's kind of a big thing for kind of approximating the difference between a rush versus in-zone play. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we do there. Like we use time mainly to gain extra context that we don't really have in the data. Um, rather than just kind of looking at, like, trying to look for tic-tac-toe plays, you know? And, yeah, those are kind of the main factors that go into things, into the model and how it affects the path values that are coming up. All right, to recap, again, as I'm needed here, uh, spatial, basically looking at the location, 
Uh, that's number one. Number two being contextual information, AKA like if I take a one-timer, that's probably a pretty valuable shot compared to someone just holding it and uh, bombing a point shot. And three, time factors, how long since uh, a shot, entry, or pass. Did I recap it okay? Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. All right, excellent. So we're talking about time since entry. So I'm curious if you found a lot of differences that show up um, in the analysis between a rush versus an offensive possession chance and what factors go into that. Um, And that'll lead us then easily into on entries, how can players add value uh, to their possession and their path? Well, I'll start with the rush and and Mick will follow, I guess, on on the entries. Um, We don't get like a percentage of how much better is it with a rush or something, but um, we presented some heat maps on the deck of final and and in the paper that was published on hockey graphs after that, but uh, we, we will clearly see like the, the most dangerous area was really wide, like still a few seconds right after zone entries, like it was the slot, but outside of the slot as well. And just a few seconds later, that dangerous area was shrinking towards the net. So that means the most dangerous area was shrinking, was getting more and more difficult to get in as time moves on but also areas that used to be dangerous while you were in the rush situation were not dangerous anymore. So that was kind of the visual result we got through it that were really, really um, speaking, I think, and we showed it to a couple of people, including coaches, and they were really, really enthusiastic to see that with their own eyes, like something everybody knew uh, already, but <laughs> then we have some kind of statistical proof of that. So, Past research actually has shown that approximately 60% of the goals at the highest levels of hockey, so like the NHL, are scored off the rush. So rush offense is a pretty important part of a team's ability to create quality chances, score goals, and eventually win hockey games. And as Thibaut and Tyrell were kind of explaining earlier, our research with Pav has shown that it's, it's pretty important off the rush and off the entry to play the puck quickly. And as Thibault was saying, it's it's because the slot area and the accessibility of the slot area is shrinking as time goes by. And and to be able to play the puck quickly off the rush, we can go back to the basic principles of rush offense, which will allow us to play the puck quickly and therefore increase our path by improving the condition of the puck. So the things that players and teams can do to improve their path, to improve the condition of the puck on the rush, are to leverage the middle to enter the zone, which will give them options on both flanks to make possible passes and create movement and quick movement for that matter in the ozone off the rush. Also, leveraging speed differentials is an, is a very smart and efficient way to be able to create movement quickly and to op- and try to open up the slot area even more. And bringing all of this together using lane changes will also allow these, uh, these quick transitions, these quick transitions from one play to the other, which will make sure that y- you create your rush chance before the back checkers, the players that are backtracking, come back in a 
structured defensive, um, structured defensive formation and cover lock in the slot area. I love how you're uh, putting the tactics to uh, the numbers and the math here. It's, it's gorgeous. So speed differential is key for opening the slot area. A lot of stuff's happening off the rush. Um, so I, I know the key for, for a lot of people, and I think it's becoming the norm here, is, is just finding ways to enter the zone through the middle. And I'm assuming this is just another uh, arrow in the quiver of proof that middle entries are just ridiculously valuable. Would you say that's true? Or uh, I'm assuming you guys know a lot more on this than I am. Assuming this is not a, a new phenomenon, but just continue to, to add, add a grain of sand to the pile in the heap that it is. Oh, no, no, just, yeah, like, it's, it's absolutely true. Like, I, the, you know, getting into the middle, your shots are more likely to be valuable, but even stuff with, like, passing and stuff, like, uh, there's a huge, we were talking earlier about completed passes. Um, being on the inside of the ice, the probability of a completing a pass is, is way higher uh, than being on the outside of the pass. And it's uh, on the outside, like, when you're on the outside trying to like penetrate into the the defense, which, you know, they're naturally sort of structuring themselves to guard, you know, those high value spots in the slot and stuff like that. That's really hard. When you penetrated the middle of the ice, it's really interesting. Not only are your shots more likely to be valuable, um, but you, I think what's probably happening is you're getting these kind of like collapsing stuff and it becomes easy to pop the uh, passes back out and stuff like that. You end up getting more options. Um, Overall, we're seeing a lot more valuable, a lot more options, a lot more, um, yeah, uh, danger. <laughs> I guess this kind of leads into my next question that I, I kind of had was, you know, what passes are most common? Um, what pad value does that have? So I'm assuming if the middle is hard to get into, most of them are on the outside, which is slightly negative. But if you're able to get to the middle, that completely makes up for all those negative values or basically maybe those possession plays to finally, okay, now we can attack or someone missed an assignment. Now there's rotations happening. Um, is that what you guys were seeing? Yeah. So in terms of passing, as um, Tyrell was explaining, the value of, of passing from the inside to the outside is, is, is not necessarily um, inter it's not going to increase your path per se, but the accessibility of the outside areas is, is much greater than being um, being passing to the inside because teams, as as Tyrell was saying, are going to tend to guard the the, the slot area, so it's it's much harder to get a pass through from the outside to the inside, but but a pass from the outside or at least a pass attempt from the outside to the inside is much more valuable than those low to high D to D passes that are not necessarily adding that much value, but, but are, are, are structurally, structurally creating movement, which might open up further opportunities to pass to the high danger areas. Yeah, I would add that um, our models also compare like what's happening on the ice to what is expecting to have to have to be happening on the ice. So if you're in the inside and you're passing to the outside, so that's a very low value, but we're expecting very low value. So 
you're not going to be really like penalized or anything because you're doing that. And you probably have a good reason to do that, but probably you want, you just want to keep the play alive. But if you're on the outside and you're trying to pass on the inside, we kind of expect you to fail, you know, because it's really hard to get in the inside. But if you succeed, like if you're really, if you're really a talented passer, if that's one of your main skill and you succeed on those difficult passes, then you're going to get a tremendous path value because you, you exceeded expectation in doing something really hard to do and you created a lot of value for your team right after. Awesome. So let's uh, let's take this to uh, Fairyland a little bit. Let's say that Hav becomes the new Corsi, uh, and we we knew or Corsi, as they say, uh, that that it was definitely gamified, where players started just throwing and chucking pucks onto the net to increase their their Corsi, um, and therefore you know throw off the stats in their favor for. X, Y, and Z reasons, uh, bigger contracts, et cetera. Um, you know, a player tries to gamify their path. Uh, should it be like a big at, big running back where they're just plowing their way into the middle? Or uh, what, what do you see? Maybe some unintended consequences from your research being the new star out there. Yeah, I think like you kind of mentioned, um, just forcing stuff into the middle would probably be a way to boost it. Um, because they're getting into that high value space, but you might not be getting a good chance. Like even if you do complete a pass, as the data is right now, as we have it, we don't know kind of the locations of the surrounding players, right? So you can make a pass into the middle, but there can be three guys right there ready to jump on the guy. And that pass is going to give you high path, but we don't know like if that guy's wide open or not. So that's kind of like, it's not going to be as high as it really looks like in the in the data as we have it right now i don't know if you guys have anything to add to that too yeah no i think that's right like it's you know like like you're saying it's we we're kind of observing things at this we observe every time there's like a, a stat leads event a pass a turnover a shot or whatever and exactly like brennan said like um there's going to be situations that the um you know our sort of average characterization of the condition of the puck, if we want to like call it that, is not going to line up with the actual characterization of the of the condition of the puck. And there would probably be ways to cheat it. Like, yeah, you you throw a sneaky pass back and forth, like into the middle, tap it back or something like that, which isn't a really useful hockey play. You might just actually be burning, um, you know, seconds or something like that. The, the nice thing is like, what, what I would say is that, something like this, which relies on expectations and also something like this, that um, a lot of what we were doing, we, we, we had our eye on part of why we cared so much about thinking about that Dan Cervone paper was we wanted to think about, well, what would we do with full tracking data and stuff like that? So one, I guess two points there. The first one is that when you make models that are based on expectations, if you get new data and people are cheating, also our expectations will change a little bit. So some of that cheating will get adjusted for a little bit, but also we're hoping that this kind of framework can uh, fit into even more complicated data where we have full tracking data, which I think it's going to become increasingly hard to gamify. Not that, not that it, there's always going to be some difference between our, what our model says is like value and what, um, 
uh, what is like actual value. And there might be ways for, for players to manipulate that, but I suspect it gets smaller, like the edges. It, it's kind of like a, you know, like a betting market that gets more and more participants in it. Like there might be edges left, but I think it's going to be really hard to, to, to scrape um, as, as our, our sort of data gets bigger and our models get a little bit better. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's hubris. I don't know. <laughs> so you, you already kind of touched on it, but uh, where, where do you see um, going next with, with your guys' work, whether it be on this subject or a different subject or just some interesting areas uh, that you're exploring? Yeah, so basically what we're working on next is expanding it from just the offensive zone, which we did in the Big Data Cup, to work on the full ice. Um, so with that, we have to deal with like uh, transitions between zones and how those work and how to kind of model those. Um, and we do have most of the conceptual framework pretty much laid out for that. We're just kind of coding it now and sorting out little details in it. Um, then obviously once it's done, it'll take a lot of computational time to actually run the simulations on the data. Um, so that's kind of a whole other issue in itself. Um, but that's kind of the next big step we want to take here in the next few months, I guess, as we keep uh, keep working on it. We were working on it earlier in the summer. Uh, we did take a bit of a break over the last month, month and a half to kind of recharge a little bit because I know um, myself and everyone else has a lot going on here. Um, but yeah, that's kind of our next big step here. Then obviously in the future, if tracking data were to, be were to become available, um, that would be another big step, uh, the next big step beyond just using this event level data, right? And then, yeah, yeah, I guess um, speaking individually, like I'm going to be doing my master's this year. So I'm hoping to find spare time where I can keep working on it and get it done. Then I know the other guys here, they have a lot of big news that came out recently too and exciting things going on as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe I could jump in, I guess. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, like, like Brendan said, we're working on this sort of big, uh, you know, the full ice version. There's a lot of interesting kind of, you know, I guess questions and stuff that come up when we try to extend it. So that's, that's definitely taking up some time. And yeah, so I, I also just started working uh, with Zealous Analytics. So I'm going to be doing, you know, some basketball stuff. Um, so that's going to be taking up a lot of, a lot of my time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see the project going on the full ice because um, there, there were a couple of players in, in, in the project we researched and we were kind of disappointed they, they didn't get like such a high path. But then we thought, hmm, but we're only looking at the offensive zone. So maybe those players, they have the huge bulk of their impact is before the offensive zone in, in, in zone exit and transition and through the neutral zone. And, and we, we could not capture that yet. So that's, that was a bit frustrating. So we want to expand on that. Um, I would love to see full tracking it out that I was player of movement available and get like expected pass completion with the position of defender, like on which side is the stick handle and that kind of stuff. And so you could like train players, in kind of a, you put them in such a position, such a context, like if you do this, you have a 45% chance of success and going further, if you do that, you're 60%. That is the choice you should make. That's kind of a bit of a robotic thing and it's 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 a fairy tale, but I would be exciting to like kind of model and play around in 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 getting the selecting the best choice available for players, like kind of what they're doing in, in baseball really. Um 
And personally, yeah, we just launched a project in Switzerland today. So I'm kind of focused on the European hockey and uh, we launched a website. We're going to track a whole bunch of, of games there and make the analytics available to the public, uh, try to expand the knowledge of the public and the media and show showcase how analytics can be used on a daily basis to like see the game and understand the games better. So it's a pretty exciting adventure for me. So what I was telling the guys that is that this year, what we did is that we did a scouting report on Connor Lockhart uh, for the Erie Otters. And now if, if we ever develop a full ice model, what we could do in the next few years, if we have data from the Erie Otters, is to develop a scouting report on Connor Lockhart's brother, who just got drafted by the Erie Otters. Who and Connor's Lockhart brother is a stay-at-home defender. So having this full ice model will allow us to better quantify his impact on on the team's path. And I think that, that could be super cool to to have a sort of continuity in our in our project. Uh, but so personally, uh, for future projects, one of my new projects that I'm working on is with a team in the uh, women's hockey team in Sweden. Uh, where I'm looking to kind of incorporate our, our path metric and um, develop other metrics as well to to evaluate and help with the player development um, in the team. It's a pretty young team, so a lot of opportunities for growth and using metrics like PAV and uh, expected play driving metrics allows us to improve the game of, of the players there. That's awesome, guys. I'm really excited for you. So I, I, that covered all of uh, what I had. Um, assuming assuming you guys are much smarter than the average uh, hockey fan, or whether it be in this paper, your other work, whatever it may be, you know, what are some important things that, um, you know, you're an NHL player, an NHL prospect, and you want to get better and play the game smarter? You know, what, what would be something that uh, – you guys should be, or we should all be thinking about or doing, or, you know, just what's a better way, you know, like we just talked about, you know, central zone entries. When you be going through the middle, you know, that's a no brainer now, you know, what, what are some things that you're looking at? I, I'm going to answer I've, I've before Mick and Tebow who are much smarter about these kinds of things than me get in there. I'm just going to, you know, get my answer in. Um, so w one thing I, I thought a lot about um, in this project um one of the most interesting players that I've ever like played like shinny and like beer league hockey with is a guy named Mike Bishai, who is famous for this one NHL fight where he was like, he played for the Oilers in like 10 games or something in 2005. And he ended up in the Arizona Coyotes bench, like while he was fighting. <laughs> but anyway, he, I, he's from Edmonton and I've, I've played, uh, you know, shinny and beer league with him. And the thing that makes him like, so dangerous and and we were kind of talking about this earlier is he always seems to have more options than anybody else um and that's something that makes um the he's able to make pull off passes and stuff like that that uh, a lot of players wouldn't be able to not necessarily because like his passes are more accurate but because at every sort of moment he seems to be threatening so many he's always threatening to shoot he's always threatening to pass to pretty much anybody on the ice and it's really hard to to read them and stuff like that. So he's somebody that I sort of had in mind. Um, and I think maybe, you know, I guess, I guess if you're trying to stick in the NHL, maybe he's not the right, uh, 
the right uh, model. But if for uh, for anybody else, like you know, I think he would be a pretty good model for how to be a very good hockey player, and and maybe somewhat related to what we've been talking about. When you go through the numbers and you you you're, you're tracking game yourself, like in the speed extreme, but you're starting to see games in a different way, meaning that you're looking for those most dangerous components in the game. And one thing that is actually killing my 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 pleasure of watching the hockey game just for pleasure, like like in a bar before COVID or anything, is like you see a guy entering the offensive zone on the side and just shooting at the net. And I'm always like yelling at the TV, like, that's useless. That's useless. Why did you do that? And, you know, because I know there were way much better options available. I mean, like, you should have at least continued skating towards the, the lower net and zone. So, uh, yeah, that started thinking about the options available as a fan when you're watching the game. Um, offensively, yeah, we talk about those zone entries, keep control of the puck. Try to go through center, change skating lanes, um, not just throw pucks at the net and hoping for the handful of rebounds that will happen in the game, that kind of stuff. Um, defensively, don't throw yourself into a forecheck, hitting bodies, just wait, more at the blue line, neutral zone, close the game, push toward the board, like kind of think, start to play smarter and watch smarter. I guess that that would be one thing. It's not much. It's just see the game in, in its entirety and try to imagine what the players are thinking when they're playing, like the decision-making that is behind their action and what could be done better at your level. Because you're still just sitting on the couch and not on the ice <laughs> with the danger of being crushed by a 250-pound guy on the other side. But that's one thing. That's funny. That's exactly why we started the Hockey IQ podcast, Hockey IQ newsletter. We want to play the game smarter. I was sick and tired of the exact same thing. I even wrote a uh, beautiful piece of why uh, and it was titled Point Shots Suck. And exactly why, what you're, what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to add to that, one thing I would say is in, as a player and, and as a coach who's sitting down with a player to, to watch clips, the, the one thing that coaches and players can focus on to improve their path is to always keep in mind the the basic definition of path so am i on this play giving a puck that's in a better position than when i found it and by doing this exercise on a continuous and regular basis what's going to happen is that you're you're going to be able as a player when, when you watch video to translate your mental exercise to the game and it's going to allow you to play the game in a smarter way, which will, which will help your team at the end of the day, create more quality chances and uh, score goals without necessarily overthinking the game, because it becomes ingrained into the way you actually think the game. Yeah. Then at this point, I'm just kind of mimicking every, what everyone else said just a little bit differently, but I think what have kind of helps you with is um, like when we're talking about gamifying Pav, like we were earlier, Another way to do that is to just be selfless in a way, right? Because um, if you're, say you're on like the, the left boards and you make a nice cross-ice pass to the right slot and then the, the guy in the right slot takes a shot and scores, 
Um, basically on that play, if we're looking at just the regular data, just expected goals like um, we traditionally do, then all of the value is going to go to the shooter there who got the nice pass and then just tapped it into the net, right? But what PAV allows you to do is um, it allows you to assign the value a bit more rightfully to the guy who made the pass there, who made the selfless play and made a nice pass to the slot, which was really the key play in scoring that goal, right? So yeah, kind of like putting a bit of a, a more like mathematical model spin on it. But yeah, yeah, basically just be selfless, do the right play for your team rather than doing the right play for yourself and just trying to get value in a way. As a guy who uh, played like Joe Thornton and passed when he was in a spot where he should have shot, I appreciate that. I, I, I would have been beautiful path. <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I, I know this was an enlightening conversation. Uh, if you have anything else, let me know. Otherwise, uh, it's getting late and I'll let you guys go. This was awesome. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks. Awesome. Thanks Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, Remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So Please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, Hockey'sArsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.